We are in a study in the book of Mark, and we are in the first chapter. I'd like to take you through this portion of Scripture. Please turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Lord, we ask you to bless this word, the study of your word, and make it come alive into our souls, we pray, Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text this morning is the calling of the disciples found in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Let me read that to you. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, turn to chapter 2, if you will, and we'll go to verse 13. Mark two thirteen. it says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Turn to chapter 3, if you will, please. Mark 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Let me repeat that. He called them and appointed them. Why? So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed 12, and then he goes on to list the 12. And so this is the point in the gospel story when Jesus is calling his disciples. This is normal behavior for a rabbi who is now calling his students unto himself so that he can instruct them in his teachings as a rabbi. So what I want to do is help you understand uh, really a better grip with what this is all about. It is not unique to Jesus as a rabbi to have students and followers. And so what I'd like to do is know that As Jesus is calling his disciples, he's doing something that's typical of a rabbi. The only difference is there's no rabbi like Jesus. How many of you know that? Amen? And so let's take a look this morning and see what is the education of a typical Hebrew boy becoming a Hebrew man. What was the typical form of education for men who were Jewish in that society is the first phase was called Beth Sephur, or Bet, but we, uh, we call it Beth, uh, which means house. And so from ages 6 to 10, these young boys were brought into studies called Beth Sephur, the house of the book. And they were to memorize the first five books of Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Can you imagine memorizing those books between the ages of 6 and 10? And these boys were to do that. Now, not every boy did that. 
At age 10, they would uh, be proven to see if they passed Beth Sefer, the house of the book. Did they graduate from that? If not, they went back to their homes, continued on in the family business, did whatever they needed to do in the fields or so forth. But those who did uh, memorize the first five books of Torah from ages 10 to 14, they went on to Beth Talmud, which is the house of learning. So from 10 to 14, they move on. Those impressive students who have studied and memorized the first five books now move on to memorize the rest of the Old Testament books. And so they're memorizing from Genesis to Malachi and learning the rabbinical process of questions and answers, a catechism that was unique to rabbis in teaching them to question everything. If I ask you a question, you respond with a question so that we can go deeper and deeper and deeper in study. And so that's Beth Tamud. Now, not everybody finished that or could do that. In fact, they entered into their bar mitzvah at age 13. But at 14, they saw, did they complete Beth Talmud? And there were some that did. The others who didn't went back to their home, back to the fields, back to their trade, or whatever they were going to grow up in. But those who were advanced would go on now, finishing Beth Talmud, and go to Beth Midrash. Though the, that is the house of study. Now, that's from ages 10, uh, 14 and 15, the Beth Midrash. Now, the Midrash are the rabbinical teachings of the law. So uh, maybe oral traditions and rabbinical teachings of what the law and the Old Testament is all about. So by this time, these young people had already memorized the Bible as they had at that time, the Old Testament. And then we're moving on now to memorize the Midrash, the 3,500 parables of all the rabbis, stories, teachings, and wisdom of rabbinical study from the time of Moses on. Woo-wee! That's Beth Talmud. Now, as a few of those young people would learn this and move on, then came the time for rabbinic discipleship. Those who were that advanced, then rabbis would come to the Beth Midrash school and find those that were left in those studies who had completed them and would seek out students to become Talmudin or disciples of that rabbi. And they would ask the rabbi, as the rabbi would visit the school, the students would want to be a student of that one. For example, if you'll remember, Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel. He said he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a high sage rabbi, and Paul, at some point, as he completed all this, imagine, the Apostle Paul had completed all of these studies, and at age 15, he approached Gamaliel and said, may I be your disciple. And at that time, he would be questioned, he would be challenged, because a rabbi wasn't going to waste his time on someone who would not forsake all to follow him, and would follow him and learn from him. And if he did, rabbi would repeat and say, follow me. It was an honor and a privilege. Now, many never made it to this point, only a small few. And so, Uh, What would happen typically in a young man by age 18, he was expected to go marry. By age 20, he was expected to have a um, 
vocation, either in the fields or in a, in a, in a you know, whatever, as a craftsman or uh, some kind of vocation. And then at age 30, he was given authority or son placement. How many of you remember from last week at the baptism of Jesus, we saw the placement of the son, the positioning. That's when the son took over full authority of his father's work. Now, we can surmise through this, as we looked at the calling of Peter, that Peter was probably over the age of 30 when he was called because it says Peter and Andrew were mending their nets. They weren't mending their father's boat, they were mending theirs. So they were at that place of placement and having the authority as their own fishermen. But where were James and John? They were whom? Sons of Zebedee with their father. So they must have been under the age of 30 because they were still working with their father and didn't take the placement and didn't have the authority yet to run that boat on their own. Does that make sense to you? So we can gauge what's happening in this culture and in this society. So this is the average and typical education. Now, we figure that Rabbi Saul went through this, but how many of you know that Jesus would have gone through this. And Jesus, at age 6 to 10, had memorized the first five books. And Jesus, from 10 to 14, had studied and memorized the rest of the New Testament. And at his bar mitzvah, we saw that last week that he was astounding the Pharisees with their questions, with his questions back to them and uh, in that process. And so he would have gone on then to rabbinical study But it's interesting, we don't know who he studied under in his rabbinic studies, or if he did, I'll get to that in a little bit. But Jesus was a rabbi. That's what Jesus was. We're going to study in a few weeks, you know, they always, we talk about Jesus being a carpenter's son, but Jesus didn't say, I'm a carpenter. He never identified himself as a carpenter. He identified himself as a rabbi. In fact, it says this in John 13, 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And so he is a master teacher, rabbi and Lord. Do you know it says 16 times in the New Testament people call Jesus rabbi, and this is non-disputed. No one contests and say, you can't call him rabbi. In fact, Nicodemus comes at night and says, we know. The Pharisees and Sadducees know you are a teacher from God. So it is affirmed that Jesus is a rabbi. He calls himself rabbi and Lord and master. So he is a master rabbi. He's called teacher 47 times in the New Testament. And it was his regular tradition to teach in the synagogues. Not anybody can stand up and teach in synagogue. You must be a rabbi who is approved and who is validated by that ministry. So at age 30, Jesus comes on the scene as a full, empowered rabbi to teach. Now, let me share with you something. There are two kinds of rabbis. There are Torah teachers. These are your basic rabbis who teach as they had learned the Midrash and learned rabbinical understanding and followed a master rabbi till their time in their 30s when they could come forth as rabbis, they were teaching rabbis. So they would teach in synagogue, and that's all they could do. They would teach what the historical rabbis said about a passage, but they could introduce no teaching of their own. 
They could only teach what is in Scripture and what the Midrash says, what rabbinical teaching says about that Scripture. Then there is a second kind of rabbi known as a sage or a master rabbi with smika. Say it with me, smika. One more time, smika. All right. The rabbi who has smika, that word is authority. It is, in the sense, the placing on of hands. That rabbi, the smika rabbi, or rabbis who have authority, can then expound on Scripture and give their own teaching. Typically, a rabbi would not have smika until he was in his 60s or 70s when he had uh, come to such a place of knowledge and wisdom that he was demonstrated in giving this kind of anointed teaching. But Jesus immediately empowered Smika and showed that he had authority. And he could speak his own teaching. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is a classic example of Jesus as rabbi declaring his Smika. Because what he says is, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now that's the teaching, right? But I say unto you, If a man thinks in his heart, towards a woman in that manner, he's committed adultery. What did he just do? Gave his own interpretation of the law. That is smika. That's the authority of a rabbi to speak with authority to teach. You have heard it said that you shall do this, but I say unto you, you shall do this. Now that's the authority of a rabbi. And the teachings of a rabbi were called his yoke. So when a rabbi had smika, he had the authority to interpret the law and to make declarations as Jesus did. And when he did this, he was telling people his yoke. And Jesus said, for my yoke, take my yoke upon you. And what? Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So what Rabbi Jesus was saying is, understand my revelation of Scripture and it will set you free. You will find peace, you will find rest. For my yoke, the burden of my teachings, the entire uh, catalog of what I am about to teach you, my yoke is easy. It is clear. It is true. Let's take a look at what people said concerning Jesus' teaching. The smika of Jesus. Matthew 7, 28 and 29 says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them with one who has had smika, and not as the scribes. It wasn't that he was charismatic. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not that he said it with great gumption. It's not that he said, and they said, Oh, he's so strong the way he teaches. This is not what's going on. When they said this, they're recognizing this is a rabbi who has smika, authority to interpret Scripture beyond what we have ever heard from any other rabbi. He is a master rabbi, the master teacher, who has the authority to interpret Scripture. Why is he so good at it? Because he wrote it! (laughs) Matthew 9, 6 and 8. But that you may know the Son of Man has smika on earth 
to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. He rose up and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such smika to men, authority to men. He is a rabbi beyond any rabbi. The traditional rabbis who had smika were Hallel, Shema, Gamaliel. Sages throughout history had great rabbinical writings, but no one can match the smika and the authority of Rabbi Jesus. Because not only did he produce teaching, but he raised the sick cast out demons. His anointing was so great. His smika as a rabbi was so great, even demons flew from his presence. When he'd land on a shoreline, demons would come running and bow before him and say, what are you doing here? Because the smika, the anointing of master rabbi was touching the earth. And Jesus came with that authority. And that's what Mark is telling us when he was calling his disciples. Now, come on. It's one thing to have authority to interpret Scripture and give teaching. There were rabbis that have done that in the past, but yet he taught with such authority that even demons were cast out. Sickness was healed. The dead were raised. This is amazing. But then he went one step further and said, your sins are forgiven. Oh, come on. Who has authority to forgive sin except God? Because right after this statement, they wanted to kill him. All right, you might have smika. You might be an amazing rabbi. But you crossed the line now, Jesus. Did he cross the line? No, he spoke the truth. So we see this, but it's interesting, Matthew 21, 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what smika are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this smika, this authority? That is a typical question to ask a master rabbi. Who did you study under? For any rabbi to have smika, he must have two master rabbis lay hands on him to pass that authority on that he has authority to interpret. So it was a typical question for them to come and say, so who gave you this smika? Who were the rabbis you studied with? So something happened here which is of interest that Jesus we know is in the temple at age 12. We know he was in the school of uh, Talmud and the school of possibly also the school of Midrash. But we don't see him following any other rabbi. He didn't take up the following of a rabbi. In fact, it says in John 7, 15, the Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied Well, he obviously studied, but I think the reference is they never saw him in and among the crowd of following a master rabbi. They never saw Jesus following another rabbi. Where did he get his smika, his authority from? Well, when he was in the water being baptized and the heavens were ripped open, God said, this is my beloved son. And he sent his hand down as the dove descended upon him. And John the Baptist, the the Levitical priest, uh, were putting hands on him and his authority was from God in heaven. He's given all authority from his father. So when they asked him, where'd you get your authority? He got his authority from God. 
the Father. This is amazing. So understanding this, consider that now the rabbi who has smicha, who has a yoke and a teaching, is now going to select his disciples. And so as a rabbi would call his disciples, the typical way in which a master rabbi with authority would pick his disciples, he would go back to the school of Midrash. And he would look for those kids that are about 14 and 15 and typically go there because this is the cream of the crop in Israel. These are the young ones who made it all the way through and are now ready to follow a rabbi and grow another 15 years of following the rabbi and studying with rabbi. You see, they would then be interviewed by this rabbi. The Mishnah says, above all, we pride ourselves on the education of our children, so rabbis want to find someone, a young person, who will follow after them and devote their entire life to following and be a disciple of that particular rabbi. And so they'd go for the best and brightest. And as they would go to the school of Midrash, these young few uh, students would want to follow after a rabbi. That's everything they had wanted to do. Every Hebrew boy dreamed, right? We've got kids here dreaming to play on the Mets, play on the Tigers, play on some team, play on the Spurs or this or that. Every Hebrew boy wanted to follow a rabbi but they would be weeded out by the intensity of it. Finally, a few left. They would see a rabbi come to the school. They'd decide, I want to follow after that. So they would go to the rabbi and say, may I follow you? And rabbi would question them and give them very difficult questions. And they would come back with questions and he would determine whether they had the intellect and the chutzpah and the stamina to follow him. Finally, when they did, he would say, come follow me. Take my yoke upon you and be my disciple. And that was it. They were yoked to the rabbi. They were now going to follow him. If not, if he interviewed them, rabbi would say, go home to your village, make babies, pray they become rabbis, go home, learn your family business, fishing, farming, carpentry, Uh, because you won't be studying anymore to be a rabbi. And so they were released. So let me ask you this. What does that say of the 12 that Jesus picked? Yeah. They didn't cut it. They didn't make the cut. There was no rabbi for them to follow. Peter had dreamed one time as a young man to follow a rabbi. He was a fisherman. James and John studied Scripture, typical of all Hebrew boys, memorized it. Didn't make it, did he? Matthew studied the Scriptures at some time, memorized it, probably wanted to be a rabbi like every Hebrew boy. Didn't cut it. Tried to find a job. Best job he could find was a tax collector. People considered tax collectors thieves and robbers. They turned against the Jews because they were collecting taxes for the Roman government and most typically skimming off the top because that was their income. And so Jesus did not go to the school of Midrash to pick a young boy to follow him. 
What would he do? Now, this is the interesting part. He went to Peter and said, come follow me. And Peter dropped his nets and went. Now, doesn't that sound funny to you? From a Western mindset, we're going like, come on. Some guy walking up in sandals is going to say, hey, I want you to follow me. So he leaves everything, his work and his employment, and says, I'll be right there. Are you kidding? He goes to the next group, James and John, and he says this, follow me. They look to their dad and said, out of here, pops. And he's gone, both of them. Except if you understand why now. Imagine Jesus knew the heart of Peter. He knew the heart of Andrew. He knew the heart of James. He knew the heart of John. These who didn't cut the mustard. Those who couldn't do it. Yet there was something in them that the master saw. So when the master rabbi came to you, you knew he had smika. You knew he had authority. You knew there was something about him. You hung around with John the Baptist. All of these men saw John. They were disciples of John. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They knew who he was. What an amazing thing. He's coming to my boat today. He came to my fishing boat. And he could have gone to the school of Midrash, which every rabbi would do, but he came to me. I'm over 30. And he said, come follow me. I'm not going to give him a chance to think twice. I'm in. All my life, I wanted to follow a rabbi. This is my moment and my chance. I don't understand why he picked me. He's doing it all wrong, but I'm not going to question. I'm going. John and James looked at their father Zebedee, and he's smiling ear to ear. My boys, my boys, called by a rabbi. Oh, go, go. Then they come walking along as he's ministering in the towns, and there in the corner is the tax collector. (laughs) Jesus, where are you going? Oh, he's probably going over there. He's going to the table. Watch this. It says that Jesus gave James and John the names, the nickname. Jesus gave them this name, Sons of Thunder. All right, so James and John are walking behind Jesus, and I'm sure they go, oh, 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 watch what he does. I bet he's going to just nail them. I would, wouldn't you? Yeah, I hate those guys, man. Boom, knock it over. Knock that table over, Jesus. He goes up and he says, follow me. What? <laughs> what? Look at I know you chose Peter. That's, that was the low end of the deal here. But now, Matthew, what are you thinking? And what does Matthew think? Looks at his money and knows his heart, what he had always longed for, to serve God and serve a rabbi. He runs and leaves it behind. And then at the last reading of all the 12, it says, and Judas Iscariot called by the master. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow a rabbi? It means that you take his yoke, in other uh, word, his teaching. Jesus' teaching was marvelous. It was like no one had ever heard. If you'll read the, the scriptures and study the gospels, you will continually see the response of his disciples and apostles. What? Huh? What do you mean? 
What are you doing? This is a hard saying. I don't understand. Right? And how many times does Rabbi Jesus say, Oy vey, how long do I have to be with you? This is driving me crazy. You boys are terrible. Don't you get it? I have to explain it once again to you. Right? There's a saying uh, by Yosef ben Yozer in the Mishnah, Avat 1-4. It says, follow a rabbi, drink in his words, and be covered by the dust of his feet. So the sense was this, that when a rabbi walked, his disciples walked like little chicks behind him. And the one who had the most dust on his tunic followed the closest. And so it was an old rabbinic study. May the dust of your rabbi be upon you. Don't you remember what James and John, their mama said? Jesus, can my boys sit at your right and left? She wanted the dust all over those boys. She wanted them to rule with Rabbi Jesus. And so they clamored. They'd follow him wherever he'd go. This was the normal thing. In fact, this is what um, the concept is of a disciple, that you should be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Jesus would walk 30 miles to Capernaum to give a teaching so that it would come alive in the midst and in the center of what he was trying to say. He would go to the temple so that he could give a teaching that would be illustrative in the light there at the, uh, at the temple. He would go anywhere and they would follow him to learn and to study. And this is what they would do by learning his yoke. His yoke is not just his teaching. The rabbis, the disciples who followed a rabbi didn't just study the teaching to learn. They studied him to become him. Discipleship of a rabbi was so that you would become of the same power and anointing of that rabbi. They understood that. So when Jesus came to Peter and said, follow me, Peter said, I'm going to be like you. This is discipleship. We've lost its understanding and its meaning. It isn't just learn about him. And what we've reduced our discipleship to in America is, I believe Jesus. Good for you. Even the demons believe in Jesus. Are you his disciple? Sure, I'm his disciple. I go to church on Sundays. That's not a disciple. A disciple is one who not only learns and studies the teachings, but also does them. They traveled with, the rabbi traveled with his disciples to teach them. He taught them through demonstrating and teaching them how to question and teach so that they would learn those teachings. He required total commitment. Peter had a wife that for three years he went off with Jesus. He taught them to talk in his smika in every way and walk in that authority. Do you remember when he sent out the 70? To do what? Heal the sick and cast out demons. That's what a rabbi does. He taught them how to lay hands on the sick. They would do it and say, hey, you know what? This didn't work. What happened here, Jesus? You gave us authority. I laid hands on this one. This one didn't come out. What does Rabbi Jesus say? Ah, let me teach you, disciples, for this kind takes prayer and fasting for deliverance. Rabbi is teaching them everything. They went out and they did what he did. If that's what a disciple is of a rabbi, then we should be doing what Jesus did. In fact, Rabbi Jesus said, you shall even do 
greater things than I. He taught the disciples. Last of all, a rabbi taught his Talmudin, his disciples, how to be like him and also how to become rabbis to teach others. I sit among you schooled rabbis. You are disciples of Jesus. In fact, it's so much so in the mindset. Consider this, that when Rabbi Jesus approached the boat of the apostles, his disciples in a storm, walking on the water, he said, Peter, come. What was in Peter's mind as a disciple of Rabbi Jesus? I will do what Jesus does. And so he got out of the boat and walked on the water. What gave him the idea he could ever do that? He was a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. And being a disciple of Rabbi Jesus, he could do and act in every way that Jesus did. Folks, we've lost the rabbinic teaching. And so it's this same principle has been handed down to us. So my conclusion is this. Are you a disciple, a Talmudin? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Well, I didn't memorize the first five books of the Torah. I also didn't memorize Genesis to Malachi. I guess I would have been sent home. So was Peter. So was James. So was John. Jesus said this, you didn't choose me as the typical rabbinical study. I chose you. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Will you forsake all to follow him? Come on. I believe in Jesus. That's not a disciple. Oh yeah, just by faith I'm saved. Follow your rabbi. May the dust of the rabbi be upon you. What is the dust of Jesus? Drawing so close to him, what is the dust that kicks up on you, the power of his Holy Spirit? You see, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it is in your heart and mind to now act and will as Jesus did. He called you to be his disciples. What did he say? Now go. All smika has been given unto me in heaven and earth and below the earth. Now, therefore, you go. You are now rabbis. When he came on the day of Pentecost to fill them with the smika, the dunamis power of authority of rabbis, you now had the church, a rabbinic church of rabbis who walked in the authority of Master Rabbi Jesus. You are rabbis who have the authority of Jesus Christ. The dust of Jesus is upon you. The very anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. You can decipher and understand the Word of God because you have the Spirit of God. You're a rabbi in your house. You're a rabbi on your block. You're a rabbi at work. And God is expecting you to make disciples. Are you under the yoke of Jesus? Are you carrying the yoke? Are you yoked with him? That means you obey your rabbi. In all of his teachings, you have memorized and you know them. And look at, he said, you don't even have to worry what to say or do. My spirit is in you. Brothers and sisters, the choosing of the disciples 
is also the choosing of you. Let us follow our rabbi with everything that's in us. And I challenge you right now to have the convictions to follow God and to be the rabbi he called you to become with your whole heart. Let us stand and consecrate ourselves before God. Father God, we thank you this morning.